Welcome to Bovine Banter with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. My name is Casey Hauer and I am an educator based out of Berks County, Pennsylvania. I'm excited to welcome Dr. Camilla Hughes to our podcast today. Dr. Hughes is an assistant professor of reproductive biology in the Department of Animal Science here at Penn State University. Thanks for being with us today, Dr. Hughes. Thanks so much for having me on. So to get started, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your research interests? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you said, my name is Camilla Hughes, um, and I'm assistant, I am an assistant professor of reproductive biology here at Penn State in the Department of Animal Science. Um, to tell you a little bit about my background, I grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia, and I was in 4-H as a kid, mostly into horses and chickens. And then I went to Virginia Tech for undergrad. During that time, I got involved in undergrad research in reproductive biology, and I really fell in love with physiology and with animal science research at that time. Um, in this field, we're able to make scientific discoveries about how organs and systems work, and then those discoveries can be applied to directly help producers. I then decided to go on and get a PhD, and I came up here to Penn State in 2014 to start a PhD in dairy cow reproduction with a focus on the ovary and really on understanding ovarian hormone production. At that time, I didn't have too much dairy experience uh, before starting my PhD, but during my PhD, I definitely fell in love with the dairy cow. And something that got me really excited about studying dairy cattle is the fact that dairy cow ovaries make really great models for human ovaries. Um, so dairy cows have a similar length of estrus cycle to the human menstrual cycle, and their cycles also have a lot of um, similar characteristics in terms of the types of structures that might be on the ovaries. And so what this means is that we can study the ovary in cattle, and we can make discoveries that will not only have a positive impact on dairy and beef production, but will also help human infertility. And so I got really excited about being able to use that model in my research and really help the biomedical field and agricultural field at the same time. Awesome. After, after my PhD, I went up north to Montreal, Canada, and did a postdoc there. And there I worked on early development of the ovary. I got really interested in how early developmental events that occur in the ovary before the individual is even born can affect lifetime fertility. I started this job at Penn State in July, so I'm a little bit more than six months in, really just getting started. My appointment is 25% teaching and 75% research, which means that I'm involved in teaching two courses this spring. Um, I'm teaching half of the physiology of animal reproduction class, and then I'm teaching the reproduction part of the dairy management class to undergrad students. And so I'm having fun doing that. And then the majority of my time is spent on my research program. In my research program, which I think we're going to talk a lot more about, uh, my main goal is to improve fertility in dairy cattle and develop technologies to regulate or support fertility in humans through an improved understanding of mechanisms that regulate ovarian development and ovarian physiology. Awesome. Um, so looking at some of your research, it looks like you do a lot with the corpus luteum. So can you explain to us what that is and why it's important to learn more about that in cattle reproduction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the corpus luteum is essential for successful pregnancy. I'll tell you that first. And that's why it's so important for us to study it and really understand it. I'll describe just a little bit about what it is. So if you think about the ovary, when the egg is growing on the ovary and it's getting ready to ovulate, it's surrounded by cells that are very closely associated with it they support it and they help it grow. 
Then that egg ovulates. And those cells, the other cells that were helping the egg, they stay on the ovary and they develop into the corpus luteum. So this means that every time an animal ovulates, a new corpus luteum is formed. The corpus luteum is yellow, which is where its name comes from. Corpus luteum means yellow body in Latin. Um, and in the cow, the corpus luteum is about the size of a ping pong ball, just so you can picture it. And the corpus luteum only has one job, and that is to make the hormone progesterone. So why do we care about progesterone? Well, progesterone is important because it is the hormone that maintains pregnancy in all mammals. With no CL and no progesterone, a cow won't be able to maintain her pregnancy, and she won't be able to have a calf. If a cow ovulates but does not get bred or doesn't become pregnant, the CL still forms, but it will regress and die and stop making progesterone after only about 18 days. Um, this allows the cow to come back into heat, and then she has another chance to become pregnant. In pregnant cows, the embryo itself signals to the uterus and to the CL to prevent death of the CL. And this maintains progesterone and maintains the pregnancy. So where do reproductive problems come in? Well, sometimes it may be that a cow would ovulate and become pregnant, but despite this, her CL regresses and dies inappropriately, even though there's a viable pregnancy. Um, maybe because the embryonic signal was not adequate, or maybe because it was not correctly interpreted by the uterus or by the CL. Um, and so this means that in some cases, a cow might lose her pregnancy and then would have to be rebred. Um, thinking about the corpus luteum, there's recent research from UW-Madison that suggests that about half of pregnancy loss in dairy cows comes from death of the embryo. So the embryo wasn't good enough. But the other half of pregnancy loss in dairy cows comes from inappropriate regression of the CL. So you actually had a great embryo. That embryo could have been viable, but it was lost because the CL regressed. And so what this means is that developing technology to support function of the CL could actually improve pregnancy rates on dairy farms and reduce embryonic loss. That's very interesting. So while you're doing this research focusing on the process behind a cow being able to get pregnant and maintain her pregnancy, I wondered if you noticed any differences between younger first calf heifers and our older cows on their second, third, or maybe later lactations. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, so I specifically don't work on differences between primiparous and multiparous animals. Um, I saw that you were going to ask me this, and so I did a little bit of reading. And there does not seem to be strong evidence for big differences in fertility or in ovarian function between a first calf heifer and a multiparous animal. Um, the studies that do show differences, they aren't huge differences. So okay. when we're thinking about fertility in cows, probably parity is not the most important determinant of fertility. There are probably other management factors that are really the more important factors. Um, of course, with that said, it is very well known that heifers are much easier to get pregnant than lactating cows, right? Uh, so that's a different kind of question, and, and we do know that it's a lot easier to get heifers pregnant. There are lots of reasons that it's easier to get heifers pregnant, including their age, their metabolic status, their overall health. They aren't go undergoing the physiological stress of lactation, um, and they're much less likely to have health conditions that could negatively impact reproduction, um, as cows cows are much likelier to have various health conditions that could make it harder to get them pregnant. Um, and there is some research going on here at Penn State, not in my lab, but in Dr. Troy Ott's lab, um, 
to look at some of those differences between heifers and cows. And in particular, Dr. Ott is interested in some sort of immunological differences between heifers and cows and how that might affect their reproduction. And so it's possible that that'll be on a future episode of Bovine Banter, right? Yeah, you never know. <laughs> um, so one of those factors um, could be nutrition as well. Um, and I saw that you were involved in some research looking at selenium supplementation and its effects on the corpus luteum. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So that paper was part of a collaboration that I was involved in several years ago. And the lead researchers in that project were Dr. Philip Bridges and Dr. Sarah Carr, and they're at University of Kentucky. And so I just want to let listeners know that in case they are interested in this, um, that research group has actually done quite a bit of work about selenium and reproduction. Uh, so that would be where to look if you're really interested in selenium and reproduction. But to summarize the work that I was part of, basically in regions with selenium deficient soils, um, which are mainly southern regions in the United States, producers have to supplement this mineral in the diet of forage grazing cattle. Commercial selenium supplements are typically formulated using inorganic forms of selenium, uh, but the organic forms are those naturally available in forages. So we have two different kinds of selenium. Um, so this research found that circulating concentrations of progesterone in the blood are affected by the form of selenium that's supplemented, and cows that receive a mix of the two kinds, the organic and the inorganic, have maximal progesterone concentrations. So the part of this work that I was really involved in, we were working to identify cellular mechanisms in the corpus luteum that were affected in the cows that received the selenium mix. And what we discovered is that the cows that received the selenium mix had CL that were better able to take up the building blocks for progesterone production. So the CL has to take up building blocks for steroidogenesis or progesterone production from the blood. And when cows got the selenium mix, they were better able to do this. Um, so the big picture takeaway from this study is that something as simple as a nutritional supplement can potentially really directly change the function of the ovary, and that it's important as we're doing this kind of research to think about how nutrition and reproduction interact. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you maybe encountered anything unexpected in your current research, or can you tell us um, about some questions that you're looking to answer with your future research projects? Yeah, so I'll answer these two parts separately. Yeah. Uh, so I'll tell a little story about an unexpected finding uh, first, um, and then I'll tell you about future experiments. So in the research that I did at University of Montreal, we were using mice as a model. And what we were doing is in mice, you can make genetic mutations, and then you can identify functions of individual genes that might affect particular factors. And we were interested in the very early development of the ovary, which really sets the stage for lifetime fertility. Um, and we were using mice because it's easy to make genetic mutations. That's why we were using mice. So in one of these mutant mice, this this was a mutant mouse with a mutation in the, in a gene called SF1. We were not really expecting to find a whole lot. This, this wasn't the major part of the project. But when I started looking at the ovaries of these mice, we found that the ovaries were just absolutely tiny. They were about three or four times smaller than a normal mouse ovary. And a normal mouse ovary is already pretty darn small. Sure. Um, so what we figured out is that these ovaries, basically after they formed, they were totally failing to grow. We did more experiments and we found that the mutant mice had many fewer eggs in the ovary. 
and some of these eggs or oocytes were dying as the ovary was developing, and the cells that support the eggs, so I, I talked about those a little bit, those are cells of the follicle, they were also totally dysfunctional. So, so these mice really had very dysfunctional ovaries. Essentially, by 